to Colossians 4, uh, sorry, Colossians 1. Colossians is a small book, four chapters, and I have been thinking uh, the last while about discerning the will of God. How does one make decisions? How does one know the will of God? And I know that your church, you here have been going through uh, a discerning time, whatever you want to call it, but all of us have something inside of us, and I think it's as believers, all of us have something inside of us that, that says, I want to know what God thinks about this. What does God think about this? And we often talk about, how can I know God's will for my life? Now, I, I don't think that this is some kind of mystery. Now, I like mysteries. I, I do think, though, we have to use our entire uh, capac- all our capacities, our mind, our heart, our feelings. We, they're, they're meant to be live together. So we think, we feel, we hear, we experience God speaking to us. And the, the, another question becomes, does God speak to us in the present world? Does he speak to our hearts? And, and does he speak to us together or individually, or how does this happen? As I was thinking about this, I, re- I remembered a phrase that Paul writes to the people at Colossia. Now, if you want to understand Scripture, and I think that is, uh, I think the Scriptures are one of the ways, I think, I think that I need to be very careful how I say this. In fact, I wrote it this morning. I need my little green book back here. This is my brain book. You know, I write things in here that no one should read except me. So I will, uh, it's not my journal. I have a journal too. Um, I, I've been thinking about the scriptures and I read this thing about the scriptures. Uh, the, the authority of the scriptures, and, and Jesus says this in John 5. He says, you think that because you know the scriptures, you can be born again to the Pharisees. He said, they will not save you. Only I can save you. And then at the very end of Jesus' life, uh, after he has conquered the ultimate enemy of man in death, okay, so he, he has died and he's been born, he's raised up from the dead, resurrected, and he is with his 11, think about this, 11 men. 11 men and maybe a few women are out there. And, and think about uh, the mess that they feel like. This movement was spreading throughout all of the land and, and it was growing and the, 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 the way of Jesus was growing and then suddenly they kill Jesus and you're reduced down to 11 people. And you know what? Those 11 people changed the world. We are the result of those 11 people. And it spread. And that is the nature of the kingdom of God because the very last words that Jesus said, uh, that, that Jesus said to his disciples while he was here on earth was, all power is given to me now I give it to you. Go ye therefore into all the world and make disciples. Baptize them and then teach them everything about me. That is my translation. But I was thinking about the authority of, of how God speaks to the scriptures. God does not just, the scriptures are not just words because the scriptures themselves, um, let me get where I wrote, the, the, the authority of scriptures can only at its best 
be the authority of God in Jesus mediated through Scripture. In other words, when we take the Scriptures and look at them, we, if, if we do not have a relationship with Jesus, we are in trouble because then they become words. But we need that relationship with Jesus. And it, it is also helpful for us to understand the context in which Scripture was written. So you think about the different books of the Bible and you think about their message. And the, the, if we understand the world, for instance, of Colossia, let's use that as an example. Colossia, the city that this, uh, the church where this book is written. It's a city, it, it is near Ephesus, so it's in Asia Minor. One of the interesting uh, things about this city is that there is a river that flows to the city, and then suddenly the river goes underground, plunges underground, and then for five furlongs, which would be um, uh, quite a bit of distance, it is underground, and then it comes up out of the ground again. So it's a, it goes into a fissure and comes up out of the ground. Now, that was changed later when an earthquake moved that around. But, okay, the, the local people at Colossia uh, were, were very much into religion. We often think that the world, no one is irreligious. By the way, everyone believes in something, and everyone has faith. The entire world, every person, you can say, you can, I hear people say, well, I'm, I don't have, I'm not a person of faith. Yes, you are. You believe in something. All of us do. It is because that is the way we're created. All of us believe in something. Well, anyway, the people at Colossia did believe in something. They believed in a, a secret cult of angels. And these are, and, and particularly they rever, revered the Archangel Michael because they believed that the Archangel Michael had a healing spring or healing gush of water up out of the ground where people could go and get healed. Wait, the river comes up out of the ground there. And so they would wait there. And they also believed in this kind of syncretism. Let's call it that. Do you know what syncretism means when you have two gears? Uh, men will understand this better. Well, ladies will too. Uh, beaters, beaters, egg beaters or uh, food, you know, the things where you stick the, what do you call those things you stick up into beaters and they, they spin? You know what I mean, don't you? I don't know what you call them. What do you call them? Uh, the beaters, okay. Um, the ones that are wire mesh, if those things aren't synchronized, you can't, number one, you can't get them in. There's those two prongs that you stick up in there, and, and that synchronizes them so when they spin, that they don't hit each other. All right? Syncretism is the idea that you take two things and you incorporate it together and you make kind of one thing work. And in religious terms, synchronism in that world meant, oh, you took a little bit of Christianity and a little bit of Judaism, a little bit of Jewish world, Archangel Michael, and then you had this pagan Roman world out there. Oh, and you took a few things out of there, and you kind of created this kind of mystical, powerful package. All right? So that's the world that the church at Colossae... It's important for us to understand because when Paul writes, he, he tells them, you know what? And, and by the way, these people were very uh, mysterious. They'd say things like... Uh, well, I guess they would. I'm going to, I can't talk Greek, but I'll, I'll just say it in English. They'd say things, oh, if you only knew what I knew. And it, it was meant to kind of pull people in, but it was also meant to say there's this kind of secret, reserved place that only the elite Christians can achieve to. And so Paul comes along, and he writes to the people at Colossia, and he says this, so follow along in chapter 1. Now, now keep that in your mind. And by the way, that is not necessarily an old thing. It is so true in today's world. 
Today's world, the number one way that Satan tries to, uh, that, that, that I hear people talk about, about religion is, oh, well, okay, there must be good in that religion as equally good as there is in Christianity. And some way, if we can just kind of bring Hinduism, Christianity, maybe a little bit of Jewish world, and all these things together, we'd find this perfect religion, and everyone would be happy and get along in the world. Uh, and, and that is not the way of God. So, so think about this as we read the first part of Colossians. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. To the saints and faithful brothers and sisters in Christ at Colossia, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and growing, as it also does among you, since the day you heard it, and understand the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power, according to His glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness, and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authority. All things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent. For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him if indeed you continue in the faith stable and steadfast not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven and of which I, Paul, became a minister. <clears throat> now, think about the world that the Colossians. By the way, Paul had never been at Colossia. He had never traveled there. He, he had only heard about the church. And so he's writing to them and saying, I've heard these things. And, and, uh, and he, he, he calls them back and he says, and note in verse 9, it says this, I, We have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will 
in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. He's not saying this to the church leaders. He's saying it to the entire church. He's saying, I want you, I am praying that you will know the, 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 that you will be filled with the knowledge of God's will. And so when Paul writes that, he's writing to a group of people who have always heard that the gospel is some, or the gospel and the, the, the best form of worship is this kind of secret knowledge that some people have and some people don't. And, and he's coming along saying, no. The central message of the gospel is this. It is Jesus, and that through he, through Jesus and his work and his death and resurrection, the living God became king on earth as he is in heaven. I want you to think about that. The Bible is not about the rescue of humans from this world. We need to get that out of our mind. The Bible is not about the rescue of people from this world. It is about the rescue of humans for this world. To live in the world. The world of a synchronetic gospel in, in that world. And indeed, it is, it is about God's rescue of the world by his human beings. When Jesus took, said, all power is given to me, now I give it to you. He transferred it to his disciples and then to us. That is the central message of the gospel. We are called to bring the kingdom of Jesus to this earth. I don't know why God trusted us and keeps trusting us to do this. And he said, and he's also saying, it's not some kind of mystery. By the way, uh, one of the theme words in, in Colossians is wisdom. That you may be filled with the wisdom of his will, would be another way to say it. So what is the knowledge of his, of his will? And what is necessary for us to, to be filled with that knowledge are what I want to look at that. And then, how does that result in us living differently? So, note how, again how Paul begins uh, verse 9. Uh, by the way, the, the word Paul, the, uh, the word, sorry, the word knowledge that he uses here, be filled with the knowledge of his will, is a word that only Paul and Peter use in the New Testament. And the word means coming to a knowledge of something. Not necessarily having arrived at, but this growing knowledge within us. And it means, uh, it, it has the idea of movement and growth. It is not static, so it doesn't, okay, now I know it. It is this kind of growing awareness of who Jesus is. Someone take a, a I should, uh, I'm a teacher as well, so I'll assign you an essay. In 500 words, tell me everything about Jesus. Could you do it? No, because you don't know everything about it, and it would take much more than 500 words. It'd take much more than that. So, so the point of this is that, that this is something about growing up and it is something about using all our facilities. And by that I mean our, our, our sense of uh, emotional connectedness to Jesus and our sense of physical connection, connectedness to his creation and our sense of uh, growing our minds and learning more about him. I, I, sometimes, uh, I sometimes struggle, uh, well, I sometimes meet people who say, well, I'm just not a very good learner. And when people say that, I want to ask them, then how can you be a good Christian? Because not, that, I'm not talking about academics. 
I'm talking about actually literally wanting to learn, wanting to grow our mind around the concepts of Jesus. The knowledge of His will is about knowing something. It is literally understanding how to live well in our world. And, uh, the, and, and he also is very clear that the will of God is not some kind of uh, secret scroll hidden somewhere. By the way, I get a kick out of these things. Occasionally you see documentaries about the, uh, uh, the Ark of the Covenant being found somewhere, and inside are some secret scrolls, and then once we discover, the, just, if we could just discover what those scrolls say, oh boy, then we'd know everything. No, 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 no. Jesus has exposed himself. The revelation of Jesus Christ is when Jesus came to earth. That is the scroll. It is Jesus walking among us, living and dying, and, and we grow in him. That is the scroll. That's the secret knowledge. That's the key. And so the call to us is, and, and I think that, that Paul gives us three things here that we need in order to, to grow in this knowledge. First of all, uh, in, in verse uh, 4, it says, Since we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and, and the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Faith, love, and hope. So let's just look at them each and, and we, we've heard this. Part of the problem for us is we've heard this message way too often. And sometimes we need to just kind of freshly, to kind of step back and kind of freshly look at what does God, what is the important truth. And one of them is we need to have a growing faith. Now, what is faith? Let's just talk. I, I work better if you talk as well. So what is faith? There's no um, secret knowledge here or secret answer. What is faith? The acting upon our hope. Is that what you said? Yeah. Okay. The acting upon our hope. Good. Who said? Jerry. Believing in something we can't see. Yeah, that's a good... I mean, the, the, Acting on the hope, believing on, in something we can't see, isn't that kind of... I mean, you're saying... You combine those and you think about that. Now, uh, it, it is that. It is also... There is another element to the word faith that Paul particularly uses a great deal. And sometimes we could translate this word, in fact, this word could be translated sometimes as loyalty or allegiance. Okay? Your loyalty. So who is your loyalty in? Who is your allegiance? Uh, in, in a world that is increasingly divided, you have, you have the R's and the D's. And you have the independents and the Greens. And in Britain, you have the Labour and the Tories. And, and in a world that's just increasing race, and, and that is a tool from Satan, by the way, to divide people. Division is not in the kingdom of God. Multiplication is. By the way, I got it wrong recently. I was talking about the Republicans and the Democrats in some... Uh, formal place, and I said the, Repub the publicans and the sinners. I got it completely wrong, but anyway, um, that still doesn't tell you what, uh, okay, it, it really doesn't matter, okay, so, so all of those people, and they, they play on this thing about allegiance. Who are you, who is your allegiance to? And, and the Apostle Paul is saying, if you translate this word here, since we have heard of your allegiance in Christ Jesus, 
your allegiance to Jesus. Now, it does not take away from the thing about hoping for something in the, that we can't see or, or, or looking forward to uh, built on our hope. It doesn't take away from that. In fact, it adds to it because, because suddenly we have a person to put our allegiance in. We have somebody to put our hope into. If you look at Hebrews 11, it says, um, it talks about the, the people in the, in the Old Testament who are looking forward, and he said, that is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And you put your faith and allegiance in him. And so I think this is a clear call for us to think about our allegiances. Who, is, who has our primary loyalty? Is it to Jesus or is it to a movement? You know, I'm Anabaptist, you know that. But Menno Simons is not big enough to put my faith into The only person who is large enough to overcome the centuries and the divisions of the centuries is the person who came and died for all the world. And he, the ultimate enemy of man is death. That's the ultimate enemy of man. And he conquered the ultimate enemy of man. And so he is big enough for us to put our faith in him. So we need to have a growing allegiance. By the way, this is not about quantity. This is about the kind of faith we have, not about how much. Jesus is quite clear about that. So your growing allegiance, and how does this fit in today's world? How do we apply this today? Well, I think it is, it is the fact that, uh, that we, need to, we need to live as though we... We are Jesus' people. So the next thing it says, and of the love that you have for all the saints. Um, I, we were once in a... Uh, well, okay, let me just tell you what is of utmost interest here as Paul writes this is that, um, that Colossia, the place he's writing this, is the home of Philemon. Now, who is Philemon? Who's Philemon? Anyone know? By the way, you should read your Bible occasionally. I looked at the statistics, and uh, the average Christian in America reads their Bible less than 15 minutes a week. The average uh, Protestant church service has less than two minutes of Bible reading per service. I suggest we start reading more Scripture, but anyway. (laughs) But Philemon. Philemon is a wealthy slaveholder, wealthy man who has become a Christian. He has a slave that ran away. That slave's name was Onesimus. And most people think that one of the persons carrying this letter to Colossia, back to the church, was this slave. He was also carrying a little letter back to Philemon called Philemon. And so this is this former slave who's run away from his master, coming back, bringing a letter from Paul, and Paul saying, I hear of your allegiance, your growing allegiance in Jesus, and your love that you have for all the saints. And he particularly looks right there, and you have this kind of uh, personal interaction between Philemon and Onesimus, these people who would traditionally be enemies in their world. And uh, by the way, Philemon had the power of life and death over Onesimus, and he could have had Onesimus killed, because he ran away from him. Forty years later, in one of the first accounts of church history that we have, guess who is the bishop 
at the church at Colossia. It is this man named Onesimus. This former slave who has experienced the love of his master in a powerful way. And I ask you, were you not all slaves to sin? And sin had the power of death over you? And you fled from that and you found refuge in the gospel, in the power, in the person of Jesus Christ. And you're freed from that power today. And so how do we extend that love to other people? I have told this story over and over again. And I will keep talking about it. And it's the story of Dirk Willems because I, I tell it nearly every day. To, to people who don't know the story. I think I maybe have told you this story before. Dirk Willems was a, a preacher who was captured for his faith and escaped from prison. And he, because he was a thin, light man. And as he was running away from the authorities in 1569, uh, the undersheriff saw him, and they sent men after him to catch him. Dirk uh, had been in prison for a number of years, or a number of months. He had a family. He had children at home. And uh, he was running away, and he was delivered from prison. And he ran across a canal that had thin ice. And he made it safely across. But the undersheriff who was running after him was a man heavy with the weight of all his responsibility in the world. And he, and he fell through the ice. And as he fell through the ice, the ice cracked and he, and he hollered. And he would have probably died of hypothermia there. But Dirk turned around and came back and helped his captor out of the ice. The undersheriff wanted to let him go, but the men that, he was, that were traveling with him said, absolutely not. If you let him go, it will be your life. So Dirk was chained to a soldier, and two and a half weeks later, he was burned at the stake for his faith and for his love, for being willing to turn around. It is easy for you to love the people who are like you. It is much harder for you to love the people who are different than you. And let me ask you a question. I wonder in that two and a half weeks in that jail cell, that Dirk, from the time he was recaptured until they burned him at the stake, I wonder how many times he thought, should I have kept running? Boy, what about my wife and family? Why did I do that? He would not know that 475 years later, we would still be telling the story. We don't know the name of the undersheriff, although he's probably a, a well-known man in that world, but we do know Dirk Willem's name. Because he, he had an act of love. He did an act of love that is much more powerful, that goes beyond human com comprehension. And it is based on the love of Jesus. Think about what Jesus did for you. He died. Now we, uh, we people who have grown up good have a problem understanding what it means that Jesus died for us. By the way... Uh, and in this, in the whole idea of loving is the whole idea of forgiving and extending grace to people who are different than us, who believe differently than us, who act differently than us. And sometimes it is the people that are very closest to us, our children and our wives and families, that we struggle the most with loving. We love them, but if they just acted differently... Do you know who Jesus died for? He died for Judas. He died for Peter. Think about this. Jesus is on trial. And he overhears Peter denying him. 
and I'm sure that he looked over at Peter when, when that cock crowed, uh, that, that rooster crowed, or perhaps it was the bell that, that rings at 3 o'clock. But when he looked over at Peter, and, and in his eyes, Peter saw love. And in a few hours, about 12 hours from that point, Peter would see Jesus up on the cross. What do you think went through Peter's... But, but what do you think went through Jesus? Jesus died for Peter. He died for Judas. He died for those people. And he offers us that love. And that we are called actually to offer that love to, to the broken world. N.T. Wright says, uh, Love is the, present, is the present virtue in which believers anticipate and practice the life of the age to come. We're going to someday live together in heaven. And our petty differences... Uh, you know, I'm, I'm guessing they're going to reserve a piece of heaven kind of separately for me, where the people who really bug me won't come close to. Oh, no, God will redeem them, right? Yeah, so they'll be redeemed so they won't bug me anymore. Well, what about me? Like, I, think, I don't think that we understand... Or maybe we do. But I think we need to really wrestle with this whole thing about love and how we practice love. And, and, and it's as big as the issues in our modern world of race and, and political parties and all the divisiveness. You know, the only thing that will um, overcome the divisiveness of our world is love. Now, that doesn't mean that we... We excuse sin. In fact, it sometimes means that we speak to that sin. Because we love. The opposite of love is not hate. That is not the opposite of love. The opposite of love is disdain. <laughs> I'll just let them go when we just kind of write people off. And by the way, I have a huge problem with this. I'll be the first to acknowledge it. So if we want to know that, if we want to be filled with the knowledge of God, Paul says, this is what I, this is, you're, you're a growing allegiance to Jesus, the love that you have for the saints. And because, he's, and, and he says, we are, the, the faith and the love are because of the hope laid up for you in heaven or the hope stored up for you in heaven. It's a, a fascinating way for Paul to say that our faith, our, our allegiance to Jesus, and our love for each other springs from the hope that is stored up for, uh, in heaven. Sometimes this word it could actually be translated laid away. So in, in layaway, in the layaway department, I don't think people do layaways anymore. When I was a kid growing up, my parents would do layaways at Kmart. I don't go to Kmart, thank you. Uh, is there still came? I don't know. I don't know if, uh, if stores, department stores still do layaway, but you could go and reserve something. And you could say, well, I'd like to have a, uh, a stereo system, but I don't have enough money. And so the store would say, we will lay it away for you. And they'd lay it away, and then you went and made payment. Can you imagine that? Just use your credit card and make payments on your credit No, just... Um, it's a different world, okay? Is there still such a thing as layaway? 
Oh, there is. Okay, well, I don't. Uh, it's deferred blessing. And sometimes they let you take it when you paid three-fourths of it, uh, whatever. But this is it's kind of that same idea here uh, in, that, in that there is this great reserve of hope, this great space of hope laid up for you in heaven. And the more you grow in faith and the more you grow in love, the more you access that hope. And it's built on, on uh, in, in Romans 8.24, uh, this is a passage that, that I love. I love Romans 8 because it talks about the entire creation groaning, waiting for deliverance. And we've interpreted that to say that someday, you know, the world's going to burn away and we'll get to heaven. Someday Jesus is going to come back and rule this world in mighty power and we get to rule with him. In Romans 8, 24, it says this. Uh, and 23, not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruit of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope, we are saved. And so th- this idea of hope, that we're saved as we eagerly await. It doesn't say, well, sit in the corner and wait for Jesus to come back. No, no, no. I, in fact, we should banish all the songs in our songbooks that give that idea. What he is calling us to do is to live well while we hope for the future redemption. So, brothers and sisters... I present to you the knowledge of the will of God. The knowledge of the will of God is to have a growing faith, a, a love for each other, and, and, and we, we eagerly await and we eagerly work towards something much bigger than ourselves. It's not some kind of secret scroll laid up or some kind of angel and mystical thing, but it's, it is about us giving our lives to Jesus in, in faith, and allegiance to Him. And by the way, this is not uh, necessarily talking about being born again. I, I believe in being born again, but I believe it's much bigger than that. What, that, that we as adults, at some point, uh, as adult thinkers, have to come to the place where we say, Jesus is my King. He is my President. I'm following Him. I'm going after Him. And when we do that, we can grow. We're a mixed group of people. Some of you have Amish background. Some of you don't. Some of you talk Pennsylvania Dutch. Some of you don't. Some of you grew up in other church settings that have been painful. Some of you grew up in good church settings. Some of you are rich, and some of you are not as rich. I don't know if anyone is poor here, except my wife and I, but uh, anyway. No. So we bring all that together. And as we bring that together, we have to remember that God wants to redeem us together. And that what what is necessary for this to happen is for us to say, Who is our king? Who am I called to love? And what is coming in the future? How does this translate into living in today's world? Please turn to Colossians 3. And we'll begin reading at verse 1. If then you have been raised with Christ, if you've been brought back from the dead with Christ, 
If you've been resurrected with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things that are above, not on the things that are on the earth. Well, does that mean you shouldn't have to worry about going to work tomorrow morning? Boy, I wish. But, no. It means that we actually take that worldview into the places God has called us to work. So what does it mean to build houses for the gospel? What does it mean to work at Behalt for the gospel? What does it mean to have hens for the gospel? What does it mean to have a trucking business for the gospel? It doesn't mean that you put a a placard on the side of your truck that says, Jesus saves. It might mean that. Sorry, Jerry, I'm picking on, I'm picking on the few people who I know what they do here. Um, but, it, but it actually means that when Jerry goes to work tomorrow morning, when Jerry drives his truck tomorrow morning, he does it in such a way that these things are present in the relationships and the worlds that we interact in. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. The fool you will come out. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality. Impurity. Evil passions and evil desires. And covetousness, which is idolatry. Boy, that's interesting, isn't it? We, we, uh, and I, I want to say something. I think that sexual immorality and the, the first few there that he names, impurity and the evil desires, uh, we have embraced the world. We have embraced too much of the world's views on that. Uh, we need to learn, and particularly maybe as men, what it means to be accountable to each other and to bring our whole hearts together and say, I struggle with this. That is the only way we are going to find deliverance from those things. Not just men, but all of us. And we are constantly inundated, although the world that Paul lived in was too. We're constantly bombarded with images. And we need to know what to do with those. The other thing that is, uh, what are you doing in your private life? What do you do on your phone? What do you do on those things? I think those are things that Jesus wants us to address practically. But he also says, and covetousness, which is idolatry. So, um, you know, I talked about being poor and rich. It's so easy for me to look around. This is me. I look around and think, boy, if I just had what that guy has. You know, everything from vehicles to uh, football teams to you know, whatever. It's so easy for us to covet. And we put such good clothes on it. It, it, That shouldn't kill our desires. What it should do is point our desires to the only true source of richness in our present world. That is Jesus. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these two you once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Another list. By the way, if you thought the first list wasn't practical, try the second list. Slander? Huh. Uh, 
that doesn't mean we never talk about somebody else. But it means that we talk redemptively. The Jewish rabbis say that gossip kills three people. It kills the person who gossips, it kills the person who is gossiped about, and it kills the person who listens. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with, pra- with its practices. Uh, this, this has the idea that we don't try to assume uh, that, we're, that we don't put on Sunday clothes and come Sunday mornings. You know, live Sunday morning and then during the week. Don't lie to one another. Uh, put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here, there is not Greek nor Jew uncircumcised or circumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Now remember who's carrying this back. A former slave is carrying it back to his master, and Paul says, you know what? At the, at, in the gospel, at, the, at Calvary, at the foot of the cross, there is true equality. There is no slave. No one is a master. But put on then. He never just gives a negative lift. He says, here's something. Okay, you put these things off, but put on. Uh, compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another. Oh boy. Uh, How long do I bear with one another? Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all, and, and above all these, put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. So what is it that you... Uh, uh, let us finish. Let the word of God dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms, hymns and spiritual songs, and with thankfulness in your heart to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. I'm going to leave this with you. It's easy for us, as we think about today, to do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. What does it mean tomorrow morning? What does it mean when Aaron gets up tomorrow morning? How do you build houses in in the name of the Lord Jesus? How do you drive truck in the name of the Lord Jesus. And, and in essence, what Paul is saying is that the knowledge of the will of God is how to live well in our broken world. And when we live well in our broken world, we'll understand the way of God and we'll know the direction that we're going. See, the whole point of the kingdom of God isn't about talk. It's about power. In, uh, in 1 Corinthians 4.20, Paul says, The kingdom of God is not talk, it's power. If you take on the shadowy powers that stand behind the corruption and the wickedness of this world, you can expect the struggle to take on nasty turns. He will attack you as he has been. And what you need to do is how say, how can we live in love? How can we live in allegiance to Jesus 
And how can we live with a hope stored up for us in the future? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, as we think about what it means to be people of the kingdom, what it means to walk in ways that are, that are joyfully different, not in some kind of stoic way where I say, I guess I have to be a Christian now, but in ways that are joyfully where we say, ah, I get to live today in grateful, with a grateful heart to Jesus. I pray that you would show us that. And Lord, in the messiness of our worlds, whether that is corporately together or individually, and they are messy. All of us are facing decisions. All of us are facing things that aren't perfect. I pray that your that your power would come down on us and that we would be able to grow in our faith and love and with an awareness that this is not all there is. In Jesus' name, amen.